I want to share a confession. So I grew up in the church, and I became a master of knowing. I mean, not to toot my own horn, but it's not a good thing. I'll tell you why. I became a master of knowing all the hymns, majority of the hymns, knowing when, to, when it should be said, when it should be said in this tune, when you should, like, I, I knew all the details, and I knew all the rights, too, of knowing, like, I knew the rights and rituals of when you should do the procession, how many times you go around the altar, how many times, like, I knew all these little th things, and I knew all the commandments, and I knew all the commandments and the rights and rituals and tradition of the church, and I would be the guy, I would be the deacon that would get super annoyed when that other deacon messes up or forgets to do this or doesn't know this right or doesn't know this ritual, I would be like, man, you don't know this stuff? And I would be like, you know, the hotshot guy, showing that I know all the commandments. But at a dry level, I knew them. At a dry level, I knew them. Then I found out, Jesus doesn't like people like me. Jesus doesn't like people like me that are just stuck to dry laws and rites and rituals and missing out on compassion and missing out on compassion because I was so stuck on the rites and rituals and do this and don't do this and this is how you should do this in the church and I was so stuck on all that and I completely forgot about compassion. Well, like I mentioned, we are in part three of a series called uh, Eyewitness, which we are looking at the, the, the records and manuscript and writ written by a bystander who was a first eyewitness of seeing the life of Jesus and the signs that he occurred. But for many of us, we hear of people that have followed Jesus because of their faith, because of their faith. Because of their faith, they left their job and they did this. Because of their faith, they committed all that they had to God. Because of their faith, they did X, Y, and Z. And we hear because of their faith, because of their faith. But if I ask John, the son of a fisherman, if I ask the early disciples, is it because of faith that you follow Jesus? <laughs> they say it wasn't because of faith. It was because of what I saw and because of what I heard. I was hesitant and skeptical just like you, but it's because of what I saw from his, what, he, what I saw with my own two eyes, what I heard with my own two ears, this is what changed my world. And now we are called 2,000 years later to put our trust in their records that they wrote about their life with Jesus. St. John, a young guy, wrote a letter to an early group of Christians, and he wrote it to them this way. That which was from the beginning which I have actually seen, I've heard from Jesus, which we have seen with our own two eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have actually touched this guy named Jesus. We thought he was just a really good rabbi. We touched him. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. He is the word of life himself. He is the fullness of life. And I have heard him. I have seen him. I have touched him. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you, he's telling these early Christians in this letter, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What is St. John saying? Saying, listen, I'm, I didn't write all this stuff just, you know, just to, to, to say that Jesus was a really great guy. 
everything I'm writing down, everything, I took time to write all these things that I experienced with Jesus for three years, not just to say that he was a great guy. I'm writing this in order for you to have life just as, as I have found life. I'm writing this so you can have fellowship with my heavenly father just as I have fellowship. I want all of us in this dynamic body to have fellowship. But I'm writing to you not just some nice, cute story. I'm writing to you what I have seen, what I have heard, what I have touched. And this, I want you to put your trust in what I experienced. Because what I experienced rocked my world. Well, just as a little recap, St. John and his gospel and his record of Jesus' life, he organizes his record basically into seven signs. Seven signs that he experienced with Jesus. So over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the first sign where Jesus is invited to a wedding. And his mom is giving a hard time about, you know, you know doing something about the shortage of wine. And Jesus says, listen, uh, mom, I didn't come here to, 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 to save weddings. I came here to save the world. And, something, and, and a great sign happened on that event. Then after that, last week, we looked at a, uh, a sign of Jesus having an encounter and a dialogue with a nobleman, a hotshot Jewish guy, where his son was dying, and how that encounter changed his entire world. And then today's third sign, which we're going to look at, is titled in many Bibles called Healing on the Sabbath. Healing on the Sabbath. And St. John records it in this way. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So like Jerusalem is like a, geographically like on a high mountain. So Jesus now is going up to, to, to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed, anyone that was handicapped was found there at this pool. One who was there had been invalid for 38 years when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, hey, do you want to get well? It seems kind of silly. <laughs> I mean, it seems obvious. Of course he wants to get well. But why would Jesus ask a rhetorical question, do you want to get well? Jesus asks him, because for some people in his condition, and maybe some of us, we're comfortable being sick. We get special treatment. We get away things. Maybe we have a sickness, physical or mental or emotional, whatever the case might be. We say, you know what? I don't need to get help. I like this. I get sympathy. I get this. I get that. I'm able to slide through this, whatever the case might be. Or just avoid trying to get help altogether. And we get stuck in the pit of our sickness. And Jesus asks him a little question. Do you want to be do you want new life? Or do you just like being in do you like being in this condition? Are you content being in this condition? Or do you want new life? Do you want to make, be well? I'm here to heal, but you first have to ask me. Do you want, I mean be honest with me. Do you want healing? Do you want new life? Because it requires something from you if you do. Or are you just content with this sin, with this struggle, with the way things are now? And you just want to just stay in the condition that you are in now. Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? Do you want to get well? Saying you want to be made well requires humility. Saying that I want to be made well requires me to say, yeah, you know what? I don't have my life all together. I think I need to talk to another guy about this. You know what? I think I do need to sign up for a group. 
you know what? I don't have life altogether. Maybe I need to stop putting up this front. What requires me to say, yes, you know what? I do need to be made well requires humility, requires me to, to, to be honest with myself. You know what? I don't have it all together. So Jesus asked this man who's been handicapped for 38 years, do you want to be made well or are you just content? You're just content just living there and just grabbing, you know, whatever money people give you and you're just happy in that condition. Do you want new life? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool where the water is. I have no one to help me get cured. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Some translations, rise up. Pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Many of us, we read this, but yeah, I just, and this is a nice miracle, and, we, and, it's, it's, and we look at it this way. I, now I want to tap you into the, into the mentality, into the spirit, into the zeal of the early church, that the early Christians, just three to four, cent, uh, four, three to four generations after this was written, and they have this manuscript, they roll out this huge paper of the fourth gospel, and they see this re- record written by their friend John, and they, and they read what, what St. John records as being a first eyewitness of this miracle. Like, dude, this is occurring, and, G- and John is just sitting there in the back just watching Jesus do, having this encounter, having this dialogue with this paralyzed man for 38 years. And I want to show you just some of the lens of the early Christians, how they, when they read this, how their life was changed and how they viewed it. That they read it just so I can oh, say, I read the Bible, I'm a good person. Look, look at their hunger, look at their zeal, look at how God's working in them when they read this sign, this miracle. The first person I want to point out was a thug, was a gangster. St. Augustine. Like, he lived a crazy life. But something inside of him rocked him, where he found God. And something stuck out to him when he read this encounter. He wrote down, it's amazing how Jesus didn't just tell him, you're healed. But Jesus gave him forward-thinking, moving-forward action. Jesus didn't say, okay, you're healed. Now may the love of God the Father be to go and peace, glory be to God for it. No, Jesus said, get up, rise up. And now I want you to pick up the thing that defines you in the past. I want you to pick up your mat and I want you to get out of here. I want you to continue to be the light of God out of here because from this day forward, your life is not the same. I want you to rise up. Jesus gave him physical action to do in order for him to continue to moving forward. And St. Augustine read this, read this in the year 400. Just 300 years after, G- after John records this. And he's like, yeah, you know what? Maybe, jo- maybe Jesus is wanting to do the same within me. Maybe he, just, he doesn't want me just to have a better life or maybe just for me to go to church, just read the Bible. Maybe he's asking me to get up and to rise up and take the thing that defined me in the past and begin a new life and walk toward him. Maybe that's what God is asking of me to do. This is how he read this encounter, this miracle that we read now. This is how he read it in the year 400. Let me show you another lens. This person is named St. Cyril, and he's, he's Coptic. He's a Coptic guy from Alexandria. And this is just a decade after St. Augustine. And he read this encounter. He read this miracle. And he says, you know what? It's interesting how Jesus told this man to get up, take up your, 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 your mat, take up your past, take up the thing that defined you in the past, and walk. And he meditated on this encounter, and he says, you know what? Maybe Jesus is asking for me to become an icon of him of me wanting to take the thing that defined me in the past and use it to, to spark conversation, to help other people 
that are broken. And use that that used to define me and say, now I'm carrying around my mat on my shoulders and say, yeah, this thing, and, 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 and spark conversation with other people and say, you know what, this thing that used to define me, doesn't define me anymore. This is my past. But you know what? I found new life because I followed this man named Jesus. And I'm inviting you to do the same. This is what stuck out to St. Cyril as he read this. A third person, around the year 380, a bishop from Constantinople, which is modern-day Istanbul, St. John Chrysostom, he read this encounter, and he said, you know what, it's interesting, that after Jesus healed this man, Jesus disappeared. And he, his meditation is saying, Jesus disappeared in order for this man now to be the focal point of this entire city. For people to be like, whoa, what just happened? Dude, the guy was paralyzed. I saw him for like 38 years, and now he's walking. For people to be curious of who he is and be curious of his life, be curious of his testimony, be curious of how God has worked in his life. That Jesus stepped away in order for him, for the new person that's been healed, to become the life and for his story to impact others. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, God is working in my life. And it requires me to say, yeah, you know what? I used to struggle with this thing. I used to be like this. I used to have this mat, but it didn't define me anymore. And because of my vulnerability, because of my realness, because of my rawness, Jesus is shining within me. Now he has, he has worked within me. Now he steps away in order for me to become an icon of him. This, this, like, <laughs> these three guys, this is just a glimpse. This is just a glimpse of the early centuries of how these early Christians, their hunger, their zeal, I highly doubt they got up in the morning and, and had their, coffee, their cup of coffee and says, oh, you know, I had to do my reading today, and that was it. They read it, and it was something working within them. And they had this deep meditation because they had the zeal from reading the first eyewitness and testimony written by St. John. Jesus heals him. But now the tension point, the conflict that St. John records really is being highlighted in this event. The day on which Jesus healed this man was a Sabbath. This is St. John recording this. All, all this occurred on, on a Sabbath day. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, hey, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. <laughs> I don't know who he is. I don't know where he came from. He came. He asked me to want to be made well. So I was real with him. I said, yeah, you know what? I want you life. And he healed me. I don't know where he is. I don't know where he comes from. I don't know who his parents are. I don't know nothing. I don't care. Sabbath, not Sabbath. I don't know. All I know is that this used to define me, but I'm a new person now. I've been made whole because of this man, Jesus. Don't ask me. I'm a simple man. It's so interesting. Look now at these Jewish leaders. They are sitting there in the back. Like John is there witnessing this encounter, and the, fair, and the Jewish leaders are sitting there. They just saw a guy who they see every single day paralyzed for 38 years. They saw him on the ground. And all of a sudden, they saw him now walking, and now they're carrying his mat. Now he's dragging his mat, and he has his stuff. And instead of them being astonished by that, the Jewish leaders are so focused on what? Ooh, you doing this on the Sabbath? Instead of them focusing on just seeing a man being paralyzed, now walking, they're focused on this occurring on the Sabbath? Like, that's what you saw? Out of everything that just occurred, 
That's what you saw? Just to give some historical context and some Jewish context, the Sabbath was created in order for, 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 for God's people to have rest, physical rest, from their job. And then continue to live for God and to serve God. This is the, the context of why the Sabbath was created. But the Jewish leaders understood what you should do, but they did not understand why. They took a break from, from their job, but they also took a break from being God's children. They took a break from showing compassion, of, of extending love to others, because they fully did not grasp the essence of why God created the Sabbath. And they were just stuck on this, do this, don't do this. And they were stuck on that, and they completely lost sight of this huge event that occurred because they were so stuck. Well, you know, in line 12b, you know, it says, thou shalt not do that on the Sabbath. You know, you, you got to broke it. You know what's going to happen now, Jesus? They were so focused on that. They completely lost sight of what really occurred. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up? Like, who is this guy who healed you? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. When you choose to follow Jesus, dry religion will lose its grip on you. This man who was healed, maybe he knew that you shouldn't do that stuff on the Sabbath, maybe he didn't. But what his priority was, was finding new life, was desiring an authentic bond with his heavenly father. This was his focus. But the Jewish leaders were so focused on dry religion, so focused on do this, but don't do that. They were so focused on that that they completely lost sight of following God in flesh. When we focus on do this and don't do that, and we forget why, the beauty, the beauty of our ancient faith, the beauty of our pre-denominational faith, the beauty of, early, of ancient Christianity, is that the church has given us so many rites, so many rituals, so many traditions, so many commandments. But the second we look at it as just dry, the second we look at it as just do this, don't do this, the second we do that, we're not going to be any different than those Jewish men. We're not going to be any different. We're going to lose sight of following Jesus because we're so stuck on doing this and doing that. But if we choose to follow Jesus and make this our priority, then all the rites and rituals and, and, the, and the, the depth and richness that the church has given us is there to supplement our growth toward Jesus. All of that was created, not as a hindrance, not to pull us away. All of that is there to create us, to guide us toward that. They're all exercises. They're all supplements to our relationship growth. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to say, oh, oh, okay, there we go. Now we know where he is. Now we got to take him down. He knew. He's a rabbi. He's a Jewish guy. He should know what the law is. But since he broke it, now it's time for us to take him down. Jesus says, listen, listen. But, 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 just give me one second. And Jesus told him this. My father is always at his work to this very day. <laughs> My father, you know him, Yahweh. You know him, you're Jewish. You guys are smart guys. You know him. My God is always working. And guess what? I'm working too. 
The second he says this, he's now adding more tension. He's adding more drama. He's adding for them to pick him up and, and fight more because now he's made himself equal to God. Very truly, I tell you. Anytime you see a verse, by the way, in the Bible, you see, very truly, I say to you, this is Jesus in, in, in now saying, listen, pay attention to exactly what I'm about to tell you. He's saying, like, listen, what I'm about to tell you is important. Hear, hear me on what I'm about to say. Hear me out. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. Then Jesus gives it to them. You study the Torah. You know the rites. You know the rituals. You study the scripture diligently. Because you think that in them, you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. All that stuff you know. You know what happened to the children of Israel. You know all about that stuff. You know what happened to Moses. You know all that stuff. You know that. All that stuff is about me. All that stuff you know in your Jewish Bible is about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What molded Western civilization what molded the Christian movement was this. That pursuing life, pursuing the fullness of life, is over rites and rituals and this and don't do this and don't do that. But our view, our view in the ancient church is understanding that all the rites and rituals and tradition, all the depth and richness that the church has given us is there to guide us toward the fullness of life. But it's not law over life. Jesus made it clear in many different encounters, saying, all that stuff, guys, you, you guys are smart Jewish people. All that stuff is pointing to me. But all of that is there to point toward love. The very last night of Jesus' life, he told his 12 disciples, who were that, majority of them are Jewish men, who knew, their, who knew their Torah, who knew their laws. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you are called to love one another. That he has summarized all these, these laws and, and rites and rituals point toward life, point to a relationship, point to the fullness of life. And because those Jewish leaders lost sight of that, they lost sight of seeing God heal them. When we pursue life, when we pursue life and pursue healing, then we are called to bring that out to others. I highly doubt this man who was healed went back to normal life. I highly doubt he decided to sit crisscross applesauce outside and you know, pretend he was still paralyzed to get extra cash. I highly doubt that. His life was not the same from that point. Because he understood the thing that defined me in the past, I should use this to, to spark conversation. I should go to Starbucks and just hang out with people and tell other people. I should go to church and tell them about, yeah, you know what? My life wasn't always like as great as it seems like now. Actually, it used to be this thing I really struggled with. But then I found Jesus. I'm sure he attended leisure groups. I'm sure he attended life groups. And his life was never the same. It is super easy. It is super easy. The longer that you are in the Orthodox Church, the more tempting it is to just focus on the right side. Super easy. I'm telling you from first, from first experience. The longer you're doing this thing, the easier it is just to focus on what to do or what you shouldn't do and not connecting the dots. 
and not connect to the gods. Married people, you don't just go on a date. You don't just go through the logistics. Yeah, how are you doing? Good to see you. Okay, you want to go on a date? Yeah, what are you saying? Yeah, I'm ignoring what you're saying. You don't just go through the motions. You're there to build a, a, a relationship. Maybe you go through the motions, but that you shouldn't. But all that's there to lead to life. There for a relationship, and it's so easy. But the healthiest view that we need to have, if we're pursuing Christ in the ancient faith, if we're wanting to pursue Christ in a pre-denominational pursuit of him, we have to see it as an all-being holistic view of u- utilizing all the rites and traditions that the church has given us and all these laws, not as dry, but there to edify me, there to cleanse me, there to push me more toward walking toward him. Let our focus be what Jesus told this man. Get up, get up. <laughs> the thing that defines you in the past is not you. That's not you anymore. I want you to take it. I want you to carry it. Yes, that's you in the past, but you have a new life now, and I want you to continue to walk. Your life is not the same anymore. You're not just cured, but now you're called to be the image of me. Let's stand up for prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for for preserving such a wide array of testimonies and records of your life on earth. And thank you for their vulnerability and their honesty. St. John could have easily just written a nice story that never made him or his friends or the disciples look bad. But because of their honesty, because of their realness, they found life. And they recorded that, not just for the sake of recording it, they recorded it in order for us to trust their word and ultimately to put our life in you. Lord, help us that this series opens our eyes to not just looking at the Bible as just being the Bible, but it being life-giving. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, both of us from the evil one, in Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, thank you guys. Uh, stay tuned for part two next, uh, part four, I'm sorry, part four next Sunday.